the pattern is happening over and over again, where the mom will come to me and she will say, my kids are out of control. They don't listen to me. I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do. And then when I learn a little bit more, I find out that the mom found attachment parenting and so swung way over onto the side of love, 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 all kinds of connection and boundaries went out the window. And oftentimes these moms were raised by parents who were very authoritarian Mm -hmm. and very strict, very cold, unloving and feeling unsupportive. You know, the, the, the moms just didn't feel like they had that loving connection with their parents. And so they want to create that for their children, but they go to such an extreme that they forget all about structure and boundaries. That is not a recipe for success, for a successful connection with your kids. Hello, hello, Blissful Parents. Michelle Abraham here, your host. And today I am delighted to bring you a fantastic guest. I have Aaron Taylor here with me. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Aaron is coming to us all the way from New Jersey, which is amazing. And Blissful Parents, let me tell you a little bit more about Aaron and Aaron's story. Aaron is a podcaster. She's got a really popular podcast called The Power full parenting for today's kids podcast. That is a mouthful, Aaron, and it is <laughs> over 600 episodes on there. Guys, Aaron's got so much great content on there. And obviously I'm a huge fan of podcasts. So go check it out. She's got a great podcast. So Aaron is also a certified parenting coach. She's a motivational speaker and author and mom of four. So Aaron was able to take the tragedy D of the death of her infant daughter and turn it around using her hard-earned wisdom to help people from all walks of life, step into their power and live their le- their best lives. And Anne and I were just chatting before we got started here. And she's been helping parents of kids of all sorts of ages, really help them with their mental health, help them with their post-pandemic issues, that things that are happening these days. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about today was about boundaries and setting boundaries. As we're getting back into routines and getting back into life, I think some of our boundaries have gotten a little bit uh, how do you call them? A little bit like flexible. <laughs> and they've had to, we've all had to adjust during this time. But as we get back into it, now we're setting a routine and we're now need to reestablish some of those boundaries. So Erin, let's dive in with like, hi, and like, take us back to how you got started on your journey of being a podcast host, parenting coach, all things, all things parenting. Well, hi, Michelle. It's great to be here with you and your audience. Um, I knew since I was 11 years old that I wanted to be, that I wanted to help families. I was blessed to have a wonderful set of parents who raised me and I had a great relationship with both of them. And when I was about 10 or 11, I started looking around and realizing, hmm, doesn't really seem like all of my classmates have, are living the same kind of experience that I'm living. And I knew I made a decision right then and there that I was going to dedicate my life to doing whatever was in my power to help as many kids as possible to have the kind of experience growing up and the kind of childhood like I did, very closely connected to my parents, very healthy relationships. And uh, so 
I've been working on that ever since. Well, that's amazing because there's not many kids that are like 10, 11, 12 years old that know exactly what they want to do. And I think that's amazing that obviously you grew up in a great family. And what were some of the qualities of your relationship with your parents that you were noticing that was different than other families? You know, that's a great question. And I don't think anyone has ever asked me that. So (laughs) awesome question. I would say my, my dad was very loving, very expressive of his emotions. He told me he loves me all the time, me and my brothers. And whenever there was, if anyone, he was a peacemaker. So if anyone was upset with anyone else, he always wanted to jump in. He always tried to jump in and tried to help the two people work it out or talk it through, whether it was our family members, siblings, uh, friends, whoever it was, he was always trying to say, you know what, let's just sit down. We can figure this out. Let's talk about it. And he would also, uh, you know, when I was going through the teenage drama years and, you know, I would be crying my eyes out of my bed because who knows what was wrong. He would come into my room and he would say, how can I help you? Do you want to take a drive somewhere? Do you want to go visit someone? And he was just the most wonderful person. He was just supportive and open and so different from the traditional uh, model of a dad, mm-hmm. especially even in his generation, he was a little bit unusual. So he was just awesome. And my mom, she had a difficult childhood growing up. And I remember her telling me from a young age, I am determined that you are going to have a better experience as a child in your childhood than I had. And it stops with me. And she did an amazing job. I mean, she was wonderful and supportive and goodness gracious. I don't know how she did it. I don't know how she was able to stop the cycle of the experiences that she had, but Mm -hmm. somehow she did. And I am so grateful for it. No kidding. And I, and I would imagine that those traits then have been carried on through your experience being a parent yourself. I know I grew up with parents with some very similar situations where they're just like the most loving family. And, you know, you're doing some healing, like as an adult, you know, going back and doing some healing and doing some, you know, work on personal development on myself. And I always, people are always like, well, what was your childhood like? And I was like, it was amazing. I'm like, no, I have these stories that everyone else does about yes. my parents, right? Like, thankfully, like so yes. grateful. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like those, some of those traits have, you know, really made me the parent that I am today, as I'm sure you would find you have, well, obviously it's, it's taking you on a whole course of it being part of your work that you do, mm-hmm. uh, which is amazing. Yes, What's your, it's, oh, sorry, it's, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's been quite an adventure and just the, I feel like the luckiest person on the planet to get to do what I do. That's amazing. I love that. Is there something that you now um, doing your work that you've ate, that's the, like the best thing that you do that you can share with us? The thing I think that brings, makes me most alive and lights me up and gets me excited is when I see the light bulb go off in the parent that I'm working with. And when they start to understand that the thing they thought was the problem really was not the problem. It's something completely different that isn't even visible oftentimes. And when they start to really understand that 
it's not the thing on the surface. We got to keep looking a little bit deeper and then they figure that out and then they address that and then all kinds of good things start to happen. So when they have those aha moments and they start to really understand what this whole parenting thing is about, it's just so exciting. I love it. That's awesome. That makes it make it all worthwhile, right? Yes. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, I love I love that you get to see those light bulb moments in in parents. And uh, I'm curious, like uh, so you just mentioned doing like personal development on ourselves as parents. Do you see that that typically, you know, when you're looking at uh, helping families and helping kids and parents and stuff, is it typically some of the issues that you're seeing? Um, is it something that the parents should be working on themselves uh, as they're growing into their parenting shoes? Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, we were talking about Dr. Shafali earlier before mm-hmm. we hit record, and mm-hmm. she's a dear friend and mentor of mine, and she's taught me so, so much, as I'm sure you can relate to. And she always says, our children are here to grow us up. We think we're, as the parents, supposed to raise them, but they actually came here to raise us, to show it us where it is we have yet to grow and where we need to grow and mature. And so... I think the vast majority, 99% of the work is to be done inside of us. Hmm. Our kids are just a, a reflection of what they're live, the environment that they're living in. Right. And so when their environment changes or their interactions with their parents change or the circumstances or the boundaries that their parents are using change, then the children change. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, uh, it doesn't happen so much anymore, but when I worked as a therapist before becoming a parent coach, parents would come to me and basically kind of say, fix my kid. Mm-hmm. He acts out, he talks back, he doesn't listen, he fights with his brother, just fix him. Not that they would use those words, but that was kind of the message. And it was so frustrating because I would meet with the child and <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the child. The child is perfectly fine. And the fixing needs to be done inside of the parent. And once they show up in a different way, then their child shows up in a different way. And then the dynamics between them completely change and things get better and everybody's happier. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, I totally can resonate with that. Uh, It's so interesting how that they know exactly how to get to expose what we need to work on the most. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> they yes. Know exactly what to say, those buttons to push. And yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And I like, I, you know, I feel like the, we're moving as parents into, into now that being something that we know. I think as our parents were navigating parenting, that probably wasn't as well of a, a, a known thing that it should be the parent that you're working on. You don't need to fix the kid. But I feel like we're evolving a little bit uh, as parents. And do are you finding that as well, that parents are a little bit more awake and are aware that that's, that that's something that's happening? Absolutely. I am definitely noticing that. When I started working with families, it was in the late 90s. And so I guess it's been about 24 years now. So we're talking about a couple of generations that I've seen go through the parenting young children cycle. And yeah, 
in general, parents are more evolved now in my experience, which is a wonderful thing. And it's, it's a testament to parents and we always can grow and evolve and, and reach the next level. There's always some kind of growth that we can do as humans. And so certainly there's a new level we can aspire to as parents. And so that's kind of what I try to help parents do to, to identify what that new level even looks like. And then how, what do they need to do to get there? That's amazing. I know as my, in my other business outside of being a host of Blissful Parenting is in the podcasting space. And one thing I've noticed is that being a podcast host and the and more people you get to interview, the more, I feel like it's like personal development hour <laughs> for yes. myself. It's amazing how, how great that's been for my life. Um, in, in getting to talk to amazing experts like yourself. And, you know, I think it's really a cool thing. So I see how podcasts have played a role in parents too, just from being a listener and then being a host has been really cool too because you get to I feel like you got that free coaching in there that getting to meet great people who have really great ideas on things so if you're not obviously you're listening to this podcast you are a podcast listener already but go explore some other shows too because I think this really helps uh helps with our mental health it helps with our personal development as parents to uh just listen to actually my journey started in parent in podcasting. I don't think I really shared that on this podcast, but my podcasting journey started when I was a new mom and I was in that funk of postpartum new mom fog. And I was a business, uh, I was an entrepreneur before I had a very busy business. So taking that time, that downtime made my, my brain go to mush. <laughs> and so I remember as a new parent, like being able to turn on the Apple TV and start listening to some podcasts that motivated me, inspired me, put mm-hmm. my earbuds in, went out for a walk with my son in a stroller, just by listening to that kind of stuff was just that motivation. And it, it changed my mental state hugely. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was so great. <laughs> That's wonderful. What's been the biggest, uh, uh, biggest, I guess the biggest, most exciting thing that's happened for you being a podcast house. I love it when I get the chance. I don't know if you've experienced this or how often you've experienced it. I love it when I get, when I get to connect with listeners, they send me an email or sometimes I see someone out in public and they say, Oh, I listened to your episode about such and such. I loved it. And, or I'll go to a, a work thing or something and Mm -hmm. someone will come up to me there. And it's just really, really, really cool because as you know, podcasting is generally not a two way interaction. (laughs) It's just totally one way. It's not like social media where you could go back and forth all day long. You, it's hard to get feedback or to connect and hear what your mm-hmm. listeners think. So when you get that little gift, it's really special. Yeah. When you can know that you're making a difference in someone's life, that's so great to hear. It just gives you that, that motivation to keep, keep going and doing what you're doing. Yeah, Cause sometimes you're like, hello, is anyone out there? <laughs> right. You know, am I talking to myself here? <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. So let's dive into boundaries. So Aaron, tell us a little bit about like, what's your thought on boundaries? I believe that boundaries are one of the most complex things for parents to wrap their heads around and also one of the very most important things. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, people say all the time, our kids don't come with manuals. I think when they say that, they're actually talking about boundaries. We don't get any rule book or instruction guide on how to create healthy boundaries. Right. And I've met, I've met, I've worked with many parents who come to me and it's, I've noticed it's the, the pattern is happening over and over again, where the mom will come to me and she will say, my kids are out of control. They don't listen to me. I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do. And then when I learn a little bit more, I find out that the mom found attachment parenting and so swung way over into the, uh, into the side, onto the side of love, 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 all kinds of connection and boundaries went out the window. And oftentimes these moms were raised by parents who were very authoritarian Mm -hmm. and very strict, very cold, unloving and feeling unsupportive. You know, the, the, the moms just didn't feel like they had that loving connection with their parents. And so they want to create that for their children, but they go to such an extreme that they forget all about structure and boundaries. And that is not, that is not a recipe for success, for a successful um, connection with your kids. What happens when you don't have boundaries in place? I don't know if you've ever seen the dog whisperer. Do you know who Cesar Milan is? Yes, I've heard of him. Yes. Okay. So he's pretty big here in the US. And I'm sure some of your listeners will know who he is and some other ones will probably be Googling him as we speak. (laughs) But he is just a wizard when it comes to dogs. He is so in tune with those dogs. He communicates energetically with body language and he doesn't really even talk to them. No words are necessary because they don't speak English. (laughs) And we think they speak English, but he knows they don't. So anyway, if you watch the way he interacts with the dogs that he works with, I end up sending videos of him working with dogs to some of my clients (laughs) because he has such good boundaries, such healthy boundaries with these dogs. Mm -hmm. And you see how the dog was with the owner who had no boundaries or rules for the dog. Mm -hmm. And then Caesar comes in and he makes, he just snaps everybody into shape and the dogs are listening. And then he tries to tell, to teach the, the dog owner how to manage the dog. And sometimes it takes the dog owner a couple of tries. And, uh, now he like has a, an iPad video camera thing. So he'll teach the owner what to do. And then he goes out and lets the owner try to recreate what he's taught them. And sometimes they pick it up fast. And sometimes he has to go in and say, hold on, stop, stop. Nope. You're a little (laughs) bit off base here. And so I show that, but then once the parents or the dog owners, dog parents (laughs) get it, and they are using healthy boundaries with their dogs, the dogs are pleasant. They're not biting and jumping on people. They're calm and they're just like looking to their owner for guidance and direction. And so I find that to be a very inspiring example to share with parents because they come to me and their kids are acting up in different ways. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's because they're 
aren't healthy boundaries in the home because mm-hmm. no one taught the parents how to do it. Just like no one taught the dog owners how to actually be a dog owner. Right. <laughs> Can you give us some examples of what some healthy boundaries that you've seen that have led to successful uh, home life? So healthy boundaries are not boundaries that are overly strict mm-hmm. and they're not overly loose. A healthy boundary really looks like knowing when to be firm and when to be flexible. Mm-hmm. If we are too inflexible and firm with our kids, they will start to rebel or shut down or sneak or lie or do all these different things, or just, they just don't like us or they don't feel connected to us and they don't talk to us. If we're too loose with our boundaries, our kids end up looking like the dog, the dogs of the dog owners who don't have any rules. They're just wild and they're bouncing all over and they're talking back and they're trying to do their own thing. And they don't listen when we ask them to do something. And so when you go to either extreme, it, it's, it's just imbalanced. There's no balance there. And so the kids don't know what to do. And so kids want boundaries. They want structure. They might say that they don't like rules and regulations, but it helps them to thrive. It gives them a frame of reference. And so they want boundaries and structure, but it also has to be built around them in a way that is um, aware of what's happening in the moment. Mm. So let's say that, well, here's a good example from my own life. So I have a college sophomore, an 11th grader, and a 9th grader. So I've been doing parenting for quite a while, if you add all those different years up of the kids. And I always had a rule that there's no sleepovers on school nights. You're not sleeping in anyone's house. They're not sleeping here. Don't even ask because that is just never happening. You know, like (laughs) I couldn't even conceive of allowing a sleepover on a school night. It just was, it was just a Mm non-negotiable until the pandemic hit. And then my son was in eighth grade at the time and they had, uh, they hadn't yet gone back at all. First they went back twice a week and then they eventually went back five days a week. But at this point they were full, they were still fully remote. And so their school day, but it was live classes on Google Classroom. So their classes were um, eight o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. But then Wednesday was a special kind of a day with um, social emotional learning with the guidance counselors and the special teachers and stuff. So they didn't start till 930. So my son and his friend wanted to do a sleepover on Tuesday night on a Tuesday night. And they, my son came to me and he asked about it. And I said, we don't do sleepovers on a school night. And he said, but mom, remember Wednesday, we don't even start till nine 30. And if he brings the computer, his computer here, cause they all have their school issued uh, laptops. If he brings his computer here, we put, can both get on and we have the same class. So we can both get on and he can just be here. And I thought, Hmm. It's actually a good, it's actually a good point. So then I had to look at my own rule and say, well, I've always had that rule, but pre-pandemic, 
they always had early school. Mm -hmm. So I don't want them staying up too late and, and, you know, going to bed at a reasonable hour, but now they don't have to be to school, like on their class until nine 30. Do I really need to keep that rule in place? And so I had to think about it, you know, and I said to my son, well, let me give it some thought. And then I really thought it through and I came to the conclusion, you know, that rule doesn't really work. It's not necessary right now. So I can actually relax that boundary right now because COVID is a special circumstance. (laughs) (laughs) And so I let them relax. (laughs) Right. So I let them have the sleepover and they only asked to do it once. They had fun and they didn't stay up too late. I said the the agreement was if you were allowed to have a sleepover, you had to go to bed by 11 so that you could get up, get breakfast, get dressed and be ready for school. And they did, you know, it was probably 10 after 11 when they were finally lights out. And so I think that's a good example of, you know, I had a pretty healthy, pretty firm boundary about Mm -hmm. no sleepovers on school nights, but then an extenuating circumstance cropped up where when I took all the circumstances into consideration, I was willing to bend it and be flexible in that situation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think like as we're moving post pandemic now, there was a lot of boundaries uh, that were kind of flexible, oh, yes. or not existing or things that we need to like. So what's some strategies for us to kind of like reset, regroup as a family unit and get back on the same page again? Uh, I feel like you need to do like a, a redo of like everything just so that everyone remembers where we were mm-hmm. <laughs> prior to the pandemic. Yeah. I encourage parents to work with their kids in a spirit of collaboration, especially when we're talking about reorganizing, restructuring, resetting after being at home probably for 18 months or so or a year or whatever it was, wherever you live. And so when we're talking about, when we're looking around and noticing, hmm, all the rules kind of went out the window and we're just kind of spinning here in chaos. We have to kind of regroup here. It, it's, I think it's going to be a lot more successful if we come to our kids. We can have some thoughts. You know, hopefully we've thought about the different categories of things bedtime, sleepovers, meals, exercise, time with friends, screen time, homework time. How does this all fit in? Extracurricular activities, chores, you know, whatever it is. It's helpful if we have already given some thought to what we would like to see or what we think is reasonable, Mm -hmm. but then uh, call a family meeting and sit down with the kids and say, you know, If you remember before the pandemic, because that was a long time ago, maybe our (laughs) kids don't remember, especially if they're younger, Mm -hmm. but back then we had this, this, and that, and we did it this way and that way and the other way. And then the pandemic hit and we were kind of just like, everything was up in the air, but it seems still like a little chaotic around here. And so we'd really like to, to kind of reset and get on a better path for all of us. And so here's kind of of some of the things we were thinking. What do you think? And even before you would suggest or share the things you're thinking, I would just encourage parents to say to the kids, do you, do you feel that, do you agree with what I'm saying? Did you, do you feel like our, 
our whole structure and routine went out the window with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Did that feel good? Or do you, do you miss the structure that we used to have in the routine? Do you wish you had it back? Are you glad that it's gone? Where do you stand on this? And they might have ideas or they might not, but then you can share your thoughts about it and then ask for their thoughts. You know, I was letting you guys go to bed at 1130 every night, but now that you're back in school, 1130 is really too late. So I think we need to pull the bedtime back to whatever time. What do you think about it? How do you feel? How much sleep do you think you need? When you get six hours, how do you feel? When you get 10 hours, how do you feel? You know, and obviously this all depends on their age, of course, mm -hmm. but it becomes, I think it's much more productive if parents try to help their kids to make an informed decision for themselves mm. rather than us saying, you're going to sleep too late. You have to go to bed earlier. Here's the I rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's better if we say, well, last night you only got six hours of sleep. How did that feel? Hmm. Or last night, wow, you went to bed, you fell asleep early and you slept for about 10 hours. How did that feel? Or remember on this weekend when you slept for what, how did that feel? And start to help them to understand if we're talking about something like sleep huh, when I don't get enough sleep, I feel crabby. Uh, it's hard to pay attention in school. I fall asleep in my classes. When I'm well rested, I'm full of energy and I'm happier. You know, it's going to be much more effective if they make those connections and they start to be internally motivated to get the sleep that they need rather than us coming down from on high and saying, you're not sleeping enough. You're going to bed earlier. <laughs> And then all they're going to do is resist and try to stay up later. And, you know, I have a niece who used to, she, she was a bookworm when, her whole life. But when she was little, she would hide under the covers with the flashlight and read her books <laughs> after her parents told her to go to bed. <laughs> That's much better than the iPad. <laughs> much better. But there was no iPad when she was little. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I love, uh, I love that idea of making it a collaborative experience. Do you think that the boundaries should come from like your family values? And should that be a part of the conversation first, maybe like what our values are as a family? I think that's a really good point. I think it's really important for parents when they're considering what this reset could look like or mm -hmm. what kind of structure they might want to reinstitute or bring back maybe the same way or maybe in a different, a different version of it, because I'm sure we've all grown and changed. <laughs> I think it is important to think about those family values. Do your family values include giving back to the community and volunteering your time. Well, maybe it was harder to do during the pandemic. Maybe you did it a lot before the pandemic. Maybe it's time to come back and revisit that now that we can be out and about some more. So, you know, if that's a good, if that's a strong family value in your family and you want to instill that in your kids, it would be good to talk about how do we get back to that? What are the opportunities that we have where can we go? Who can we help? And it could be any kind of values. I just use that one as an example. That's a great example because that's one I think that um, I, I was just thinking of my kids would be so on board 
with like going to an animal shelter or something and walking the dogs or, you know, something like that, uh, or around this time of year where there's, you know, Christmas hampers or things like that, you know, would be lots of opportunities. I think that's really, really cool. I know that was a big part of my growing up, but it was more through like girl guides, girl scouts, kind of organizations Mm -hmm. that, um, but it's something that I valued a lot and it really helped me with a lot of, um, yeah, job opportunities actually that I would apply for a job and they could see all this volunteer experience. And it was so helpful um, in, in getting those jobs, but also taught so many different skills. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really neat. Well, I I think that uh, you've given us some great ideas on how to kind of reset as a family. And, you know, it's got my mind thinking of like, you know, I think this is a good, a good strategy to kind of like sit down as a family. Now, do you recommend that the parents have a conversation first before it becomes a family meeting? Absolutely. Because if the parents can come to an agreement or, you know, close to an agreement about what they would like to see, you know, their wishes, vision, desire, intentions um, in, in different categories, you know, maybe it's helping clean the house. Maybe it's volunteering. Maybe it's when are we getting homework done or how, how often are we visiting grandma and grandpa or what does friend time look like? Whatever it could be well, screen time. That's a huge one. Big one. Big one. Yeah. So I'm sure screen time in the vast majority of households went through the roof during yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. But now it might be time to revisit that and say, okay, now that we can actually leave our houses and smell the fresh air and see other people, Maybe we can just bring that screen time down a little bit and put some of our time and attention to other parts of life. Yeah. And, you know, kids aren't going to like that. So that has to be, that discussion has to be in a spirit of collaboration. Mm -hmm. And again, it's important to, to see what the kids notice in their screen time. A lot of times they notice if you ask them, they do notice it's whether they're willing to admit it to you or not, because whether if they're afraid that you're, you know, if they say, yeah, I notice I'm crabby with too much screen time. If they think, oh, well, that means mom and dad are going to take it away from me. They're yeah. not going to tell you. For sure. But if it's in a spirit of collaboration and you're trying to, you know, get their, their honest feedback, what do you notice? If you're on the screen for an hour, How do you feel if you're on the screen for six hours and you haven't even gotten up to go to the bathroom or eat? How do you feel? Mm. And if they can start to understand, like tune into how it makes them feel and they want to do something about it. I love my screens. I love my video games. I love my Mm -hmm. iPad. I love this and that. But I really guess I kind of need to get up off the couch. Yeah, (laughs) they're going to be much more invested in it and motivated and willing to have that discussion. So we always want to try to help them to see, to decide what's best for them. And when they're younger, they might need more guidance to see it. Mm -hmm. And if we keep practicing it with them, hopefully by the time they become teenagers and then older teenagers and then young adults, they're already they've already had practice at looking at the world and looking at their lives and saying, how much water do I drink? When I drink more, I feel better. When I drink less, I feel worse. Okay. How much sleep? And then they're starting to make their own decisions, not because mom and dad are forcing them, but because mom and dad have taught them to tune into themselves Mm -hmm. and what's best for them. 
That's such an important lesson right there. I think that's so valuable and something that I think wasn't necessarily instilled in such an early age for a lot of people to really pay attention to your own your own, your own wants, <laughs> your own body, right. your own, you know, personal bubble. Right. Uh, so I, we're so externally focused sometimes that it's really great. That's a really great strategy to uh, encourage the kids to turn inwards and just take inventory and notice how they're yes. feeling. I love that. And when we have too strict of boundaries, when we're too far on that side and we're saying, you must go to bed at 10 o'clock, you must drink eight, now, eight glasses of water a day, you must have no more than one hour of screen time every day. We're not, and this happens a lot with meal times too. The kid says they're done eating. Meal times are very complicated in many families, but the kid says, I'm not hungry. I don't like it. I don't want any more. I'm finished. And how many parents are saying one more bite, just one more bite, just finish your meat, finish your veggie, take one more bite of everything, drink one more thing. And, you know, uh, or you can't have any dessert until you finish your thing on your plate or whatever it is. But if we're, how is it possible for us to know what our child's stomach what condition it's in maybe. And, and especially because kids go through growth spurts, sometimes they're starving and you can't fill them up. Other times they're just not hungry. So Mm -hmm. we're telling them you just need one more bite, but we're discouraging them from listening to their own bodies and saying, do I need one more bite? Am I hungry? (laughs) Am I full? If, if we're not allowing them or encouraging them to check in with themselves how are they ever going to learn how to do that when we're not there telling them to right. take one more bite? <laughs> that's such a good point <laughs> and then it's like yeah. I, then i think sometimes there's like then five minutes later they want a snack and it's like oh my goodness <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that was fast digestion <laughs> that's why i said it's complicated because it, it complicated. really depends on so many factors you know yeah. if we've tried to force them to eat veggies that they don't like or something like that then of course they're going to be like i'm not hungry but they actually are. They're just trying to get out of dinner and then they want to snack because they actually are hungry yeah. or maybe they're just so used to having the snack that they're eating it just because it's yummy or sweet or something, <laughs> yeah. but they don't even want it because they're full from dinner, but it's junk food. So they're eating it. I mean, it's so complicated. We could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah, exactly. And that's just one little area of the parenting experience. One little area. Holy smokes. Yes, we have it. We have our hands full, don't we? Uh, Well, Erin, this has been so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and expertise with us today. I think this episode is going to be super valuable for our parents out there who are trying to navigate this sticky parenting space and, uh, you know, balancing between having our kids love us and giving them attention and connection and also having some boundaries in there too. So, uh, you know, I love, I love everything that you said today. It's been really great. Uh, so how can our parents reach out to you, find out more about working with you uh, and where, where can we find out more? Well, my website is just my name, Aaron-Taylor.com. And they can send me an email on there. They can schedule a free consultation with me. They can find my podcasts on there. And I have a YouTube channel. So I have a lot of uh, free resources for parents to check out if they're looking for specific or general parenting help. 
And then if they want to work with me individually or directly, they can certainly reach out as well for that reason. But I do have, when they go to the website, I do have a free guide, a free uh, video and a little um, ebook that talks about why does my child act that way? So helping parents to really understand children's behavior. And like I was saying at the beginning, when we first started talking, a lot of times we think it's this issue that is the problem, but it's really not that issue. That's just the symptom of the real issue. So um, that free gift will help them to figure out what the real issue is. is. Well, that's great. That'll help with the detective work for sure. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Erin, for being with us today. Blissful Parents, go check out Erin's website, erin-taylor.com. Find out all the great things about her podcast and how to work with her. And don't forget to get that free uh, ebook and video. Thank you for listening to the Blissful Parent Podcast. For complete transcriptions of this show, as well as helpful links to resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our website at theblissfulparent.com. Thank you.